Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode where we talk about all things enablement through technology. Uh, I'm Anthony Bartolo, and usually joined by Jason Han, but he's away on assignment. So awesome to have Pumala Schmidt. Pumala, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, you could have just said I was Jason, you know. <laughs> you you're, had the long hair over the weekend, right? <laughs> No, Your it's hair great. Looks much better than his. Yeah. Yes. I'm having a great hair day today. Um, no, it's great to be on the show, uh, filling in for Jason and yeah, it's, it's a spring day. It's super windy outside, but you know, things are looking up now. So first time on the show, um, you know, very excited to have you here just to bring your, your passion to the show itself. What are you looking forward to? Uh, teams, tips and tricks. But first off, I, I hear you've got some news about the Imagine Cup 2021. Uh, Correct. So, I, I Imagine actually, Cup. yeah, Oops, so sorry. I had heard that we have had uh, high schoolers uh, have been able to uh, participate, but for some reason this year seems to be a little different. Tell me about it. So Imagine Cup this year, there was a lot of students from high schools participating more so than previous years, which has been awesome, uh, just to showcase that there is no limitation of age in terms of use of technology. If you're passionate about something, if you're passionate about addressing a problem, uh, you can do so at any age. Uh, you just have to have the, you know, the, the effort to go forth and adopt the technology uh, bend the technology to what you're trying to accomplish to to address the problem. Uh, everything from you know early diagnostics to ailments to enabling those that don't have the resources to learn. Uh, it, it's you know even air quality, especially in the time of the pandemic right now. Solutions that are really addressing problems that the world is bringing forth by high school students, by university students and college students. Again, no barrier in terms of the use of the technology. If you're passionate about the opportunity you're, you're trying to address, you'll do it. And it, it doesn't really matter about age. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's absolutely incredible because when I was in high school, I, I that's the last thing I would want to do, right? Is enter a contest like this. So no, it's, it's absolutely amazing that we have such uh, young people that want to change the world and, and make a difference. Yeah, when I was in high school, I was hanging out in the parking lot playing a sound system in my vehicle that was worth more than the vehicle that I had. So definitely, uh, it's very inspiring to see students put the, their efforts forth to address the world's problems through technology. Let's talk a little bit about the show today. You made mention earlier, uh, Teams Tips and Tricks. Uh, you have that segment with Kayla and Ning, and they're going to be talking about the use of the uh, applications in the, in, the, in the app bar. Uh, which is very interesting. We'll, we'll see that. Uh, we have a conversation coming up on Microsoft Greenwood Asim uh, talking about embodied carbon. Uh, very new to this, uh, this terminology, so I'm very interested to see what, what that'll be talking about. We have our good friend, Oren Thomas, joining us on yes, the show Warren. today. Yes, <laughs> You know, it's awesome to see him on the show. Uh, it's 3.30 a.m. for him uh, out in uh, Melbourne. And he'll be talking to Michael Crum about the inclusion of Windows Server now into Microsoft Learn. So very interested for the Learn Together segment today. And then Diego's Wall, uh, which is a really cool segment because it talks about his past and his experiences and his stories that he's captured throughout his career uh, and how that affected his career uh, and how it empowers others uh, to, you know, to, to achieve more, which is really cool. Yeah, I like Diego's Wall. It really, it's that uh, human side of tech that we often don't talk about enough. So it, it's great that uh, he's got this little corner of the world that he's just expressing himself and, and sharing it with others. And that's what this show is all about, right? It's about, you know, 
empowering others to achieve more. And it's based on the feedback that everybody provides. So if you're on Learn TV watching this show, definitely go in and chime in on the on the chat room so we can ask uh, answer your questions live on the show. Uh, and if we don't answer them here live, we'll, we'll bring them up in a future segment so we can address them there. That's what we love about this show is the interactiveness. It's not just about the technology, it's about the people that empower the technology as well. So let's get to the next segment. So it's Microsoft Teams Tips and Tricks with Pumela, Ning, and Kayla. And they'll be talking about how to be more productive in Teams using applications. Hey, ladies. How are you guys today? Hi. I am especially uh, excited for this segment because I always want to be more productive, especially in Teams. I'm a multitasker, so show me the way. How can I be more productive, especially with you know all these different apps that keep coming up now? For sure. So Teams, like you said, Teams has so many options for being productive built right into the application. Um, and one of those options, which is great for multitaskers, is the ability to work in other applications while using the Teams app. So over here, you'll see one of my channels and so my eyes are going to go back and forth um, to look at you and show the screen. Um, and so in my channels, uh, firstly, want to remind everyone that you can pin your favorite channels. Um, so we talked about this in a previous episode, um, and this is one of my favorite productivity tips. Uh, pin the channels that you use often so you don't have to scroll through all your teams to find it. Um, and then once you have that channel open, you can see all the applications in a channel. So for this one, I have my product brochure, which is a PowerPoint application. I have the project plan, which is planner, and you can see all of them up top um, and I can access them directly from the channel without having to switch screens. Also, obviously, having uh, the applications right in the channel is the benefit of being able to work there. So let's look at PowerPoint, for example. Um, most people know that you can change uh, your editing experience to open in the desktop app. Um, and understandable, you know, everyone likes the, the bigger screen to work from. But a lot of people don't know is that you can actually expand or pop out the application. You can also do this for chat. Um, depends on whether or not you're on the web client or the application or your organization settings, whether or not you can actually pop it out. Um, but this is a great tip so that you can have an entire entirely separate window or full space to continue to use the Teams chat and other things um, and still be in Teams and like uh, Pamela said, to multitask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really good point, Kayla. Um, another thing that I want to talk about that I don't think everyone is aware of is that you can actually customize the app bar that you see on the left hand side of your Teams window. So, you know, you look over there and you've got your standard apps like activity, chat, teams, channel, calls and files, but you can actually keep adding to this app bar just, you know, based on whatever works for you to make teams a more productive workspace for you. So I can show you how we're going to do that. So you can go over and click on the ellipses at the bottom of the app bar and it's going to pull up this flyout window and it's, it's kind of like um, the app, star, app, app store on iPhone. Um, so you'll get a bunch of apps that you can pick from. And if you click on one, it will temporarily populate on the app bar and you can try it out. If you actually want to keep it there, you're going to want to right click on the app so that you can pin it and it will just stay there until you choose to unpin it. And you can, in that way, you can customize your app bar to whatever you want it to be. 
Now, there are a lot of apps that you can choose. So I'm just going to highlight a couple that I think are really good for productivity. So the first one I want to talk about is Viva Insights. So a lot of people are talking about Viva right now. So I think this is a great one to bring to attention. So as you can see, Viva Insights is split into two tabs at the top. There's Stay Connected and Protect Time. So Stay Connected is going to look at your collaboration patterns and pick out your most important collaborators and just help you stay connected with them. So it's going to remind you to follow up on outstanding tasks. It's going to remind you to schedule or reschedule one-on-one -on -one. and all these different, you know, little tasks that can get lost in our busy workday. It's, it's super cool, helps you keep on top of your collaboration. The next section in this is protect time. So protect time is going to help you schedule focus time by looking for and booking those empty spaces on your calendar. So you can have those distraction free times, hone, hone in on your time, get work done. It's really nice for upping your productivity. Um, another app for productivity is Tasks by Planner and To-Do. This is really great for keeping track of your individual tasks and your team tasks. You're going to see your individual tasks under this My Tasks section and your team tasks under Shared Plans. So I hope that gives you a few ideas for how you can be more productive in Teams. Um, go to aka.ms slash helloworld for more information. Thank you so much, ladies. And next up, we have Anthony and Nassim talking about all things Microsoft Green. Looking forward to this. I always love this segment. And I always love having Asim on the show. Hey, Asim, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. I'm excited for today's show because I'm excited to learn something here in regards to embodied carbon. I've not heard this term before. What's this all about? So um, there's a really, uh, whenever I heard about embodied carbon, it reminds me of an event um, I went to. I've got a screen, if we can share that for a second. An event I went to um, uh, a couple of years ago. So events are kind of like live streams, but they're they're face-to-face -face and you meet other human beings. And, and there's the, the Q&A section is, is you, you, ask the, you ask a human being the Q&A. So uh, I remember this event I, I spoke and I was speaking about um, well, the, the, the climate. And afterwards, I had about a half an hour worth of questions from people from the audience who queued up for, for quite a while, actually, to, to come speak to me. And I always remember this one person. And after half an hour of waiting, he got to the front of the queue and he said, fantastic presentation, but you used the laptop, so I can't believe a single word that you said, and then, then walked off. And it took me a long time to kind of try and figure out what, it, what did he mean by that. Um, and it turned out he was talking about this concept, which we all understand, which is called embodied well, could theoretically understand this concept called embodied carbon, which is that everything kind of like your mobile phones, everything kind of emitted carbon in its creation. Um, and we'll emit carbon when we try and kind of get rid of it as well. And that carbon is called the embodied carbon. And it's a really challenging version of carbon for software engineers to understand because, well, it's hardware. Like what influence can I have as an engineer in kind of the, the carbon emissions of, of hardware? And what it really boils down to from a software perspective is that, you know, these things, they, they're really great machines. They're amazing pieces of kit. They don't really have moving parts. They will last a long time. And we're throwing them away because they just they just don't run our latest software anymore. 
Um, so really, it's called the, the fifth principle of sustainable software engineering, and it's kind of building applications that run on older hardware. Because if you can make this last eight years instead of four, you've had a huge impact on the environment. And that's part of the challenge, right? So, you know, mobile phones have a lifespan of two to three years. Uh, I was able to keep my smartphone for three, three and a half years. Uh, and then I was forced to change because software no longer supported it. You're seeing the adoption now of older smartphones in, in terms of IoT and why not, right? These devices have sensors built into them. You could run a simple application on it that feeds information back. Finding new ways to use old technology uh, is something that I'm seeing as a trend now that, that you know, not only from a, a carbon perspective, but also from an investment perspective, because let's face it, these phones are not cheap. And, and you know, mm -hmm. to just toss it away, you know, there's, there's the carbon piece, there's the investment piece that you have to take into consideration. What's Microsoft doing about this? And what can engineers also do in terms of best practices to ensure the longevity of these devices? Yeah. So what Microsoft's doing about it is we're launching what's called circularity centers. So alongside all of our data center regions, at least, we are creating spaces, sometimes they're as large as a hangar, sometimes they're as small as a room, depending on the data center. And this is a place that is 100% dedicated to not just the recycling of servers, but the reuse of servers. So when a, server, when a component in a server dies, we take the whole unit, it goes to the circularity center, and it gets broken apart into its components, and we try and reuse the components that are that were still completely functioning and the goal of a circularity center is to make sure well reuse is far better than recycling you know if you put something recycling on a small percentage actually manages to get recycled but if you can reuse the components of a server um it, you you waste a lot less carbon and one of the things we've noticed is in fact that we can then repair our servers faster because we have a room completely full of every single spare part that you need. They can quickly run down, pick up a component and fix the server. And then we're then making sure that those components then kind of go to good uses. One of the uses that we're going, that we're using them for is to help with colleges in the United States, especially, and providing them with kind of like a, a mini serve room that they can use for, for, for education and, and training. So that's one of the things we're doing. So I say if people want to learn more, where's the best place to learn more? If you want to learn more about embodied carbon and what, what you can do as a software engineer, then head to our learn module, um, aka MS slash SSE slash learn, where you can find a lot more about that and all forms of sustainable software engineering. So next up, we have Michael Crum and his Learning Together segment, and he's brought on today Oren Thomas. Excited for this one. Let's go. Thank you so very much for having me back again. Yes, I am joined by Oren Thomas. Oren works in the advocacy team, and he authored a really nice set of modules, which is now in a learning path that's all about implementing security on a Windows Server virtual machine. Um, it's about four and a half hours long, and I pulled out some of the best of questions here for us today. Okay, so Oren, so as a company, we have VMs that are running absolutely everywhere. But today, we'll just focus a bit on our on-prem VMs. So how can I actually secure my VM resources from all the baddies out there on the internet? So it's not just about virtual machines in a hybrid environment. You could even think about the security of your physical machines. So what we did when we put together this learning path is that we took a whole lot of technologies that work in hybrid and Azure IaaS, 
And specifically to answer your question, we've got this awesome thing that I'm sure a lot of people know about called Azure Security Center. And one of the things that Azure Security Center does is it allows you to assess the configuration of a system, be it a virtual machine running in Azure, a VM running on-prem, or even a physical machine. And you can look at how your security is configured for that machine, and you can see what you need to tune and fix to make it best practices. Another tool that we've got is Azure Sentinel, and you can configure your systems running on-prem or in the cloud to sort of push their data up into Sentinel, which will allow you to go and analyze it. And another thing that you can do is you can go and check, as I said, the configuration of those VMs or those on-prem systems and check whether or not, for example, they're connecting to Azure Update Management and whether or not they have all the latest software updates installed. So that's in the first module in this particular learning path. Excellent. Uh, so that makes me start to feel a little bit better already. Um, so what about admins uh, that accidentally maybe installs a random application? Maybe they found, uh, I don't know, a cat.exe file and they decided to run it, uh, or maybe they put something on the server that they shouldn't have. Um, how can we prevent this? Okay, so there's another module where we talk about a technology called adaptive application control. Now, the idea is that once you kind of deploy a server, you probably want that server to only run a limited set of applications. And what adaptive application control does is rather than you configuring an allow or a block list, it goes and generates one for you. It looks at what is actually running on that server basically during an initial period. And it goes, oh, okay, so these are the, the 500 processes that run normally. And it will say these are allowed to run. Why? Because we've seen them run before. So if someone comes along to do maintenance and for some reason leaves their toolkit on the server or leaves an application on the server that shouldn't be there or someone attacks the server and wants to run applications or scripts that are unallowed, adaptive application control will go and compare that application or that script against the allow list and go, well, it's not on the allow list. I'm going to go and block it. So there's a module on that in that learning path. Oh, okay. So interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, Microsoft has more back there. Um, okay. Well, what about the uh, system registry or just, you know, files, um, you know, can we track modifications to the system registry? So there's a further module in the learning path that deals exactly with that. Because again, what happens if someone's attacking a virtual machine, one of the things that they're trying to do is gain what's called persistence. And persistence is basically allowing them to get back onto that system if you perform a reboot of it. And one of the ways that attackers do that is they go and hide executables that might run at startup either in the registry or in some other location. Or it might be that you've got important configuration files that are used for your application that you want to make sure you know if they change. So what we've got is a, pro, uh, a technology that's covered in this particular learning path called file integrity monitoring that checks whether or not files have changed and whether or not the registry's changed. Uh, excellent. So uh, thanks for all of this uh, great information here today. At least after uh, hearing all this, I'm pretty excited to jump in. So uh, everyone, you can jump in uh, very easily at aka.ms slash Windows Server VM Security. So take a note of that. Uh, head over there and you'll see that four and a half hours of training that I was talking about. Uh, well, thank you again, Oren. And now back over to our two wonderful
Thank you, Michael and Oren. That was awesome. Pumla was one of the most talked about segments uh, or modules at uh, Ignite, the whole inclusion of Windows Server. Next up, we have Diego's wall. And I love this segment because it's all about the inspirational stories that he's collected amongst the years. Diego, hey, Diego. welcome back to the show. Hello, Pumala. Hello, Anthony. And hello, world. This is Diego transmitting live from my office in Seattle. How are you so today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And as you know, I've been collecting uh, wisdom here on these walls and I've been using it to nurture my own sense of wonder, but also to share it with others, with you, Anthony, with you, Pumala, with you, world. So since this is my first time, I want to hear about your wisdom today. I have a feeling it's going to be good. Well, mostly it's not mine. It's more like I've accumulated wisdom from other people. <laughs> but today I want to share this particular one, which is uh, a quote about mentorship. And it says, to know the road ahead, ask those coming back. If life is a road, we are on this road of life. To know the road ahead, ask those coming back. So I just wanted to talk about the importance of mentorship to all of you. And and the mentorship is important for a few reasons. First, it's like we suck at predicting how we're going to feel about things. Humans, homo sapiens, we think something's going to be great, and then it was not so much, or we think something's going to be terrible, and then not so much. So the best way to predict how we're going to feel about something is to ask someone who has experienced that. It's the best way to decide which way, which fork in the road do I go. But there's another reason to, 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 to seek mentors, and that is to have access to experts. There was this beautiful study done on professional athletes where, where they're trying to find out what is the most important factor to predict that someone is gonna be a professional athlete. And it was not physical ability, it was not mindset or perseverance, it was not food, it was not training equipment. It was whether someone in your close family was a professional athlete. And that's because you got access to expertise. And this is so important, guys, because so many of us, for example, are immigrants. I'm an immigrant. And when I came to this country, I spoke English. I knew how to code. But I was clueless about so much of the cultural references. And I learned through mentors, you know. Uh, so many of us are first-generation university graduates, you know, because the, we're getting more educated as a species. But that means that growing up, we did not have access to university-graduated professionals. So we need to supplement that with mentors. Am I making sense so far? Totally. I, I mean, I, I'm an immigrant myself. I came here uh, from a communist country when I was three. So having mentors and sponsorship really helped my family uh, become successful uh, here in yeah. the country. I love that you mentioned sponsorship because mentors over time develop an interest in you and they can become sponsors, you know, and, and open doors for you. And, and really, like, all you have to do to get a mentor is ask. And many mentors will say yes, because they want to pass the knowledge forward. Like they have so many scars and lessons learned. They have so many things that they say to themselves, I wish I knew then what I know now. So they want to pass that along. Now they might be too busy, but you can ask for a one-time mentorship or you can ask for a group mentorship, like get a band of friends together. Or you can ask them, if they can't, you can ask them for a reference to another mentor. Uh, or they, be, they can become role models, which is someone that you admire from afar and you try to emulate from afar without having contact with them. I want to demystify. Go ahead, Anthony. So no, sir, just a quick question. When you're looking at mentors, do you select somebody that's inside of your vertical or inside of your passion? Or is it also valid to have mentors outside of what you do? 
Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I, I love. I believe in eclecticism. Yes, Pumala. What do you want to say? I was saying that that that's a great question uh, to yeah. ask because I was thinking the same thing, right? Like, do you want someone in 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 that career path? <laughs> so here's the trick: you can have as many mentors as you want. They are free. Like they're free. Okay, and mentors want to pass the knowledge forward, and you think that they're doing a favor to you, but you're also doing a favor to them because usually you are from the following generation. So you're keeping them relevant. You're letting them have a legacy. You know, when you become very successful, you realize that happiness was not in money or in achievement, but was in touching the hearts of others. So it's a, it's a mutual favor that, that you're doing. Um, so in that sense, I think get a wide variety of mentors. I, I, I have many of them, David, David, Joe, Kristen, Chuck, a lot of them. And I learned different things from, from all of them. So call to action. Are you ready for the call to action? <laughs> if you have zero mentors, get one. If you have one mentor, get a second. If you have a two, get a third. Uh, everybody in the world, any professional should have a mentor. And the last thing I'll say is you follow on people's footsteps. I, I heard this on a TED talk. It was beautiful. You follow on people's footsteps. And at some point you look back and you realize there are people following on your footsteps. So seek mentors, but also become a mentor. You may think you have nothing to offer, but believe me, you have, everybody has something to offer. So seek mentors, become a mentor, and I have more for you on Friday. <laughs> awesome, Thank Diego. You. We're always excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Diego, for that. Now, I, that was a great segment. Um, being a, a woman in tech, uh, having a mentor really helped me uh, figure my way, my path to uh, becoming successful. And then, you know, I, I've been mentoring others as well and kind of helping them, you know, get through uh, some of the waves that happen within our industry. And I think it's important to make mention that mentors don't necessarily have to be part of your vertical, right? Yes. When I, when I, you know, I'm a first generation Canadian, both my parents are immigrants to Canada. Um, no, neither of them are in tech. But what I've learned from them in respect to how do they, how they do their day-to-day -day jobs, they use a lot of creativity and ingenuity to complete their tasks. They, they, there's a lot of things that they do creatively to address the opportunities that are brought in, for, in front of them. And they work hard at doing it too. And, they, and the purpose was mm -hmm. to, prov to provide for the family, right? That, that's the big thing. And I learned that from them. So it, it's something where it, they don't, your mentors don't necessarily have to be part of your vertical. Diversify, make sure that you have you know mentors that if you have the opportunity to have outside of your vertical, to have mentors like that as well, because it will shape your life uh, and shape your ideas in terms of where you need to be for your career. Uh, Pumala, let's bring everybody back yes, to uh, on screen of the show. So We've what did you think of your, of your first show? No, this, this was great. Uh, you know, it was fun. I actually learned some really cool tricks within Teams. Uh, stuff I didn't know. I was like, whoa, I was immersed in Diego's wall, uh, you know, talking about mentorship. And then Oren Thomas, I love you, Oren. Oren is amazing. He's always had, <laughs> always has like a wealth of information in that brain and he never sleeps. <laughs> and all the models behind him are really cool I, as well. I know. I always get it. Those are a kick to see all the time. Uh, next up on Learn TV is career, uh, career Switcher Stories. Uh, I know a bunch of us on here had uh, previous careers. I was an auto mechanic. Uh, Pumala, what was your previous career? I was in fashion. I was an assistant buyer. <laughs> so yeah, completely, completely different industry. <laughs> and Kayla, what about you? Um, I was in diversity and inclusion before tech. 
Very cool. That's that's amazing. And then uh, Ning, I think you jumped right into technology, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just in school before this. And the also, world is Michael, your oyster, Ning. <laughs> yes, this might be. This might not be your last stop. You might do something else down the road. Michael, same. I think for you as well. You were just in technology. I have always been in technology. Started out doing technical support for Macintosh and uh, even way back then, uh, Windows. Went into uh, as a developer for five years and then a stint in uh, marketing and then back over to engineering. So yeah, always in tech. And Diego's had a plethora of experiences, right, Diego? Yes, I, in engineering, then human resources, now developer relations, maybe a musician down the road, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. So make sure you stick around for career switchers, uh, as well as, you know, again in the chat, let us know how you thought of the show. If there's anything we need to add, uh, any suggestions and changes, or if you love the show, just let us know uh, on Learn TV. So aka.ms forward slash Learn TV. Uh, everybody, thank you again for joining us on today's show. Uh, stay tuned for career switchers. We'll be back again tomorrow. Same bat, bat time, same bat channel. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.